Oh, what a great day. <clears throat> so, does everybody feel like giving thanks this week? Well, that's good news because I think we have a lot to be thankful for. God's blessed us. A lot of great things are happening. But in the midst of all that, even, you know, in the, in the idea that we have the concept, I, I think for the most part we understand the concept of being thankful for what we have and what's going on. But it, it doesn't really change the the reality of the everyday world we live in where there's hurts and pains. It doesn't change the fact that out of nowhere, people die. And, and we're shocked by those occurrences. Or, or someone gets diagnosed with cancer. Someone we care about um, facing different battles and, and struggles in life. And we look at that and we come to this week, Thanksgiving week, and if you're one of those people, if you're like the normal folk and you're somewhere in your life, there's a hurt and a pain that just Thanksgiving reminds you, reminds you what's missing, what's lost, what's gone. No, we're thankful. But when we look at the scripture and we look in Matthew chapter 14 this morning as we continue working our way through God knows that too, and He knows the struggles, and He knows the reality of life. That's what I love about God. It's men that get the idea about, about um, having the, the, I don't know, putting a mask on and being fake on the outside when on the inside you're dying. It's okay to let people know on the inside you're dying. It's okay to say, Lord, save me. I need help. I'm drowning. You ever felt that way? And the Lord gives us that opportunity that we can make that cry. And as we look to, today at, uh, at Matthew chapter 14, actually we're going to begin at verse 22 where we left off. You remember, we just saw the feeding of the 5,000. Incredible miracle. And, and we're going to see a little bit later that the, the disciples, they, they were kind of hard-hearted about it. You know, they get a little bitter. Ever get bitter about having to make a big meal? I don't know. Funny how this would all land this week, isn't it? You know, they, the disciples, the bottom line is the disciples were bent. They didn't want to feed 5,000 people. They wanted to go do their own thing. But afterwards, it says, the scripture tells in verse 22, it says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Now, there's a few things I want you to grasp out of this. First, immediately, as soon as it was over, the crowd's not gone yet. Jesus is going to disperse the crowd. As soon as the feeding is done and they gathered back the baskets that are left over after the miracle, then it says immediately, that moment, Jesus told his disciples, go get in the boat. Remember, they're right by the Sea of Galilee. They're right along the shore now. Go get in the boat and you're going to go across. You're going to go. They're going to go to Gennesaret, actually. So what they do is they, you head out to the middle. And the Sea of Galilee, the way they would travel then, not so much now because we got motors and stuff, but then they would row, get themselves out to the middle. They'd catch the wind, and the wind would take them across. They just had to get out to the middle where they'd catch the wind and go. So the Lord told his disciples, go. He made them leave. Don't lose sight of that, because that's going to be important as we continue through the story. The disciples right now, the moment they get in that boat, are on a journey that is God-ordained. Jesus said, it's time for you to go. Right now. Right this moment. Now, we know from reading the other gospel accounts, here's the great thing. When we read the scriptures and we study, if the other gospels tell the similar stories, if we read them all, it gives us a fuller picture. 
a fuller understanding of what's going on. We know from the other Gospels that the people, the multitude, wanted to make Jesus king. They wanted to make him king because he fed them, because he filled their bellies. But not because they believe in who he is or, or what he stands for. And Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be influenced by that overwhelming approval of the masses before the Lord. So he sends them away. Reason one, he's sending them away. But there's another purpose that God's working out in the midst of it all. Immediately they go and he makes them head off in another direction to go to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And look at verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And now when the evening came, he was alone there. The first thing that we see as we go through this section of Scripture, and it's, it's going to be important for us to be able to understand, how am I going to get through Thanksgivings and Christmases? And how do I deal with the pains and the hurts and the loss and all that stuff? Well, the first clue to it, Jesus gives us right here. It says, after the multitudes went away, he went up on a high mountain. Now, you go to Galilee, there he is. A high mountain that overlooks Galilee. From the top of that mountain, you can see it all. The entire sea. That's where Jesus went. But he went there to pray. He went there to pray. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a call for you and I to understand the value of being prayed up. The value of spending time in prayer. The value of not in the masses, not in a meeting. This is not a prayer meeting. This is, this is alone with God. What's your time like? When you're alone with God. Character is who you are when nobody's watching. So what is your character with God? We see with, with Jesus that he would withdraw himself. He would go and, and find himself opportunity to be alone with God. Now, he's alone with God the same way you and I are. He's alone with God as he goes to pray. It's not as though the Father in heaven came down and, and, and he experienced the, the, the visual seeing of Almighty God before him. Now, better than you and I, he knows God because he is God. So he doesn't have those struggles. But what he has is that same exact quiet time and he needed it. If we're going to be prepared for the storm's if we're going to be ready for the struggles, if we're going to be ready to be able to understand what Jesus meant when he said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we want to experience that rest. And we've got to take a look at what is our life in the quiet? What is it like in the quiet places? Listen, the scripture lays out for us as we look at Mark 1.35. I want you to just consider, this is Jesus giving us his example, his example, Mark 1.35, it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus. He departed to a solitary... If there was ever a guy who could say, you know, I don't really need to pray, it'd have been him, wouldn't it? So why, what is the purpose? Why is he doing this? Why does he go to a solitary place? Why is he withdrawing from the multitudes and spending time in prayer? Because he wants you and I to get it, that that's something that is valuable, that we need in our life. Amen. We need time in the quiet place. 
By the way, time in the quiet place is not time with an Xbox. It's not time with an iPod. It's not time with a, any of the 100 million other things that we can fill our time with. It is time with Him. Time before the Lord. Listen, as you're looking there in Mark, flip over to Luke chapter 5. We look at Luke chapter 5, verse 15. And here's what the Lord has to say. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Turn to the right, one chapter, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Now, it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountains to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. A couple more pages to the right, we come to Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Luke chapter 9, verse 18 says, And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? As he was alone praying. Matthew 6, 5. Remember when we flip over to back over to Matthew. We'll take a look. Matthew 6, we went through. It's, we're looking at the, the Sermon on the mountain, Jesus teaching on prayer. He says in Matthew 6, uh, beginning at about verse 5. He says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What's he telling us? He's telling us that we need to get alone and pray. We need to get alone and pray. Now, we can go through several places in the scripture that say, rise up early in the morning. Jesus would rise up early in the morning and he'd go to pray. The psalmist said, not only pray in the morning, pray in the noontime and pray in the evening too. The idea is not so much a concept of putting yourself under a burden as much as it is spending that time and understanding the value. I need it. I need that time alone with God. I am never disappointed when I have that time alone with Him. Ever. Never. I never go, oh my gosh, what a waste of time. I don't. Because I relish in the opportunity to be in His presence I relish the opportunity just to be silent before his, his feet and, and wait for him to, to speak, wait for him to move, wait for him to, to enlighten me on something. Maybe uh, reading through the word, maybe singing a song, maybe just calling on his name. But we got to spend that time. We need that time. It's vital. It's vital. Jesus had that time. Jesus had that time. He, now, I want you to picture it. He's on top of the mountain. He's on top of the mountain and he's looking down on the Sea of Galilee where he can see the disciples and he can see their boat and he can see what they're about to experience and he is praying for them. That's encouraging. It's encouraging because the scripture tells us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. 
That means that Jesus is praying for you. Do you know He actually prayed for you while He was here on earth? We didn't name you by name, but in John chapter 17, He prayed for all who would believe based on the testimony of the disciples. While Jesus was walking here, He was thinking about you. He was spending time in prayer, reaching out. He was, he was spending that time. Listen, we have a lot of opportunity to do this. We got lots of ministries available for prayer. We have warriors on the wall where, where our goal is to have every hour of every day, of every month, of every year covered in prayer by someone who would say, I'll take an hour and I'll stand on the wall and pray. Those are all opportunities to spend in prayer. But I often hear the same kind of excuses about it. Well, you know, I tried to sign up for it, but I didn't fulfill Or I feel burdened, or I feel this, or I feel that. Listen, God wants you to know you need to have that character of prayer in your life. Because the storms are coming. And you are either in one right now, or you are about to go in one. You may be just coming out of one and thinking, oh, thank God we're coming out of the storm. Don't worry. We know from the physical world, don't we? Do we only face one storm in our life? Nope. The storm gets done blowing and a couple days of good weather and then there's another one on its heels. There's another one coming. We want to be ready. We want to be ready. We want to be people whose faith is not lost or shaken. And we can see that, guys. We can see it as we look at what the disciples went through. We see it in the very next verse. It says now, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, for the wind was contrary. The boat was in the middle. So they got out to the middle. Remember I told you they'd row out to the middle, catch a wind, and that would bring them into whatever port they were headed for. But when they got out there, the wind was what? Contrary. What's that mean? It's not blowing where you want to go. That's, That's a perfect example of Idaho. Isn't it? Listen, if I am counting on a wind to blow all my leaves into my neighbor's yard, the wind blows the other way and all his leaves blow into mine. It's contrary. Here they're out in the water and they're looking for something. They're looking for, for the wind to carry them where they want, but the wind is contrary. Listen, in our lives, we find ourselves, okay, the disciples are going where? Where Jesus told them to go, aren't they? Jesus said, go get in the boat. And they went and got in the boat. And then they find out the winds are contrary. You ever find yourself doing something you're pretty sure God told you to do, but it's not easy? Sometimes we think if it's easy, then it must be God. If it's God, then it'll be easy. That's not true. We don't see that in the pages of Scripture. God told them, get in the boat and go. They got in the boat and the wind was contrary. Can you believe it? I mean, surely if the Lord wanted them to the other side, the wind would blow them over there. So here are the disciples. This is what I love about the disciples. Earlier in the book of Matthew, they'd been out on the sea with Jesus. You guys remember that, right? And when they were out on the sea with Jesus, Jesus falls asleep. And this big storm comes up, crazy storm, and the disciples run down. They wake them up, Lord, Lord, don't you care? We're dying. They ever felt that way? And the Lord wakes up and he looks over at the disciples and he says, Oh, you, you have little faith. And what's he say? Peace be still. What happened to the storm? Whew. Calm. And the disciples said, What manner of man is this that the waves and the wind obey his voice? 
That's the question they ask. Now we fast forward to chapter 14, and Jesus puts them in a boat again, but he's not with them this time. And he, they're going across, but they're saying in their minds, I know, they're saying in their minds, he said, go. So let's go. And so they're there rowing. Now the wind's contrary, so that means the wind's blowing at them. they got a headwind. And it takes them all day to the midnight, to the middle of the night, to the fourth watch, as we're going to see, which is three in the morning to six in the morning. That's a lot of rowing. All night long they've been rowing just to get to the middle and they still can't get where they want to go because they can't get past the wind. But here they are. I want you to picture them straining at the oars. They're still rowing. And all the while, Jesus is on top of that mountain praying and watching. Isn't that important to grasp? Do you ever think that God don't see me? He doesn't notice? I mean, he's got all this other stuff to do. He's got things going on here and there. He's, he's got, you know, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and pestilence in various places and all kind of stuff happening. And he doesn't have time to notice me. Yet the Bible would tell us, not only does he know you, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you so well, he knows how many hairs on your head. I'm not going to do it, Fritz. <laughs> I can feel you looking at me, and I'm, I'm just not. It's a cheap shot, and I'm just not going to take it. <laughs> Maybe I just did. Anyway, he knows the hair. He, listen, he intimately, the, the whole concept is that he intimately knows us. Intimately, he understands what's going on. Intimately, he knows what's going on in our life. And as we consider that, as we think about it, when we, when we look at Mark, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Again, we'll, we'll take a look at this, <clears throat> this scripture in, uh, in light of, of the book of Mark. And here we are, they're rowing, they're in the middle of the sea. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 47. It says, Now when evening came... The boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. So here's Jesus, remember, on the mountain praying. The boat's in the middle. Listen to this. And he saw them straining at rowing. Yeah, I'm not making it up. They are rowing all night long to get to the middle. And Jesus is watching. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel. I know how that makes me feel. It makes me feel like God sees what's going on. God knows what I'm going through. But the call from the earlier lesson, guys, was to trust in Him. To trust the Lord. Trust Him even though I'm in the middle of the sea. I am where God told me to be. And even though it's not easy, God told me to get to the other side. So I am sitting here and I am rowing. And by the middle of the night, and I don't know what time they left, they had dinner the night before, the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately after dinner, they got in a boat and they rowed until 3 in the morning. How tired are they? How wore out? When we start to look at the circumstances in our life, and we start to look at the heartache, and we come to a week like this where we want to be thankful and give thanksgiving for, for God's goodness. In order to understand God's goodness, we have to 
understand God's presence when we're in the furnace of affliction. When we're in the storm, where is God? Where is God when I'm hurting? Where is God? He's on top of that mountain. He's watching you and he's praying for you. And he will come to you. So here they are. Hey, man, life's hard. First lesson in becoming an adult, right? When I was 18, life was easy and my parents are morons. And why they have to make this so hard? It's easy. Gosh, just get off my case and stop bugging me. You know what? I don't, the trash will take care of itself. I don't have to take it out every day. And uh, all these other, gosh, they're just worried about stuff all the time. Then I moved out. Then I had to move again because the trash in my house made me move. It was easier to move than to clean. And I began to discover, gosh, you know, maybe mom and dad had a clue. Then just in case I wasn't fully there yet, I had my own children. And I thought, these kids are crazy. How can I look right into their eyes and say, take out the trash? And they say, okay. And then I walk away, and I come back the next day, and the trash is still there. Amazing. As we begin to look at life and the things we face and the struggles that go on in life, One of the things we discover as we grow, not only does the trash need taken out, but a lot of trash accumulates in our life. A lot of trash. What do I mean? Hurt, pain, suffering. Questions for God that we didn't get an answer to. The whys and the wherefores and the what's going on. And all that stuff begins to accumulate in our life. If we neglect that time alone with God, you're not taking out the trash. And if you're not taking out the trash, the trash is going to push you out. And the next thing you know, in that storm, the disciples are rowing. Why? Because they've learned what? To trust God. Now, are they perfect? No, of course not. But they learned enough from the last time to say, Jesus said go, so let's keep rowing. So they row from, let's say, 6 in the evening till 3 in the morning. That's pretty intense. Somewhere along that, I I think in the first 45 minutes, I'd have said, hang it, we're going back to the shore. The wind wants to blow us that way anyway, let's just go back. But that wasn't what they did. Because they had little faith. Remember what Jesus said to them before? Oh, ye of what? Little faith. We beat ourselves up because we don't think we have enough faith. What did Jesus say? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is, by the way, very small, you could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it would be so. Does it require huge amounts of faith? requires little faith. Do we want to just sit in that little faith? When he says, oh, ye of little faith, he's talking small. 
But they have enough faith because of their time with Jesus to keep rowing. Have you had enough time with Jesus to keep rowing? Have you spent enough time with Him alone on the mountain? Have you told Him the things, the questions, the whys, the wherefores? Have you laid out your heart before Him? God wants you to open your heart to Him. That's what we do with our friends, isn't it? God wants you to open up your heart. He wants you to share those deep things with Him. He wants to talk with you because in that time He'll strengthen you for the hardness of life. Because life is hard. God promises us. He says, in this life you will have roses and sunshine. No rain and the wind won't blow. As soon as you give your life to Jesus, everything will make sense. Your checking account will always be full and there will be no problems in life. I don't think that's there. I think it says, in this life, you will have tribulation. But does he leave it there? No. Then he brings the encouragement. It's important. Jesus never leaves you in the storm without coming to you and bringing you encouragement. Right after he says... In this life you will have tribulation. He says, be of good cheer. Be thankful. For I have overcome the world. The tribulation. The storm. The pain. The hurt. The frustration. He says, I have overcome it. So be thankful. Not because you're going through the storm. Be thankful because... Jesus has overcome. In the storm, he will bring his encouragement. But here they are, middle of the sea. It says in verse 25, now in the fourth watch, that's from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Remember I told you, in the midst of your storm, I don't care where it is or who you are, He will come to you. He came to them. At first, they don't know who it is. They see something walking on the water. Now, put yourself in there. We know the story, right? If you went to Sunday school, you heard the story before. Jesus walked on the water. But if you and I went out to Salmon Reservoir and we were fishing, and all of a sudden we look off in the distance and we see something trucking down the water, our first thought is not going to be, oh, it's the Lord coming to us. (laughs) Never mind that you're rowing and working and straining at the oars, been working all night, it's three in the morning, can't sleep, because if you stop rowing, you're going to lose ground, and and you're just exhausted, and, and you're wiped out, and then you look in the distance, and it's like the waves and the wind and the 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 not snow rain is falling and all that stuff's going on and they look in the distance and they see someone coming i want you to listen to this phrase they see him coming when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were troubled that's bible speak for they freaked out (laughs) that's what it means literally king jimmy he, he he really had it put together they were they were troubled And they were losing their minds. They were at the end of the rope. Ever been there? They're at the end of the rope, ready to lose it. And then that one more thing happens. 
That one more thing, you know the, the straw that breaks a camel's back? And that straw that breaks a camel's back happens. And they're freaking out. They're freaking out. They think it's a ghost. And listen, the scripture tells us, saying it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. They're afraid. Now, that's finally, we've been, I've been out here working. Jesus said, go to the other side. I'm rowing like crazy. The wind's blowing against us. Get to the middle. And I'm tired. And I'm wore out. And I look up. And here, what's coming? The, a ghost. Probably going to kill me. That's it. I give up. I surrender. That's it. That is the straw that breaks my camel's back. But it was that straw that was Jesus. That straw was him. They're they're losing it. But remember I told you when Jesus comes to you, he wants to bring that word of encouragement. Listen, they're crazy, they're going nuts, they're losing it, they cry out in fear, but but after they had gone on for a while, is that what it says? The Lord let them stew in their fear and and in that crazed uh, stupor that was going on, did the Lord leave them in that? What's the word? The word is immediately. Immediately. Jesus called out to them. And he said, be of good cheer. That's that phrase again. Be of good cheer. Why? He says, be of good cheer. It's me. Listen, if you can grasp that phrase and that meaning in this story, you will overcome every storm in your life. The straw that broke the camel's back was Jesus. And he says, be of good cheer. It's me. It's me. I'm here. I'm working. I'm in your life. I'm watching you. I know the storm. I know the wind. I know how tired you are. I know everything. I know it all. It's me. It's me. It's not the enemy trying to destroy you. It's me working in your life. It's me. Be of good cheer. Be thankful because I am with you. I'm here. I'm working, I'm moving, I'm, I'm shaping your life. The disciples are going crazy, but immediately Jesus is there with a word of encouragement. Immediately he's there saying, be of good cheer. He doesn't say that all of this was for nothing. He says, it's me. All of this, it's me. All of the struggle, it's me in your life. It's me working. It's me molding. It's me shaping. Remember when you came to me and you said, Lord, here am I. Take my life. I made a mess out of everything. God, I commit my life to you. When you did that, I started working. And this is how I do it. This is how I mold and shape. But he told us in Romans 8.28 that we can hope. Is that how Romans 8.28 starts? Actually, no. That we can hope? No, it starts with, and we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. When we come to Him, He says, everything in your life, He doesn't say every, everything in your life, every single thing, everything going on is going to work out to be good. Even the hard, 
hurtful, sad things. You don't have the Lord in your life? What hope do you have? I have hope. What's my hope? God says that all those hurtful things in my life are going to be redeemed. He's going to turn all that hurt and pain and misery to gold. What promise you have? You don't have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. You don't have that. What hope do you have? Life is hard, and he who dies with the most toys wins. Nothing, but he has the biggest bonfire. But with Christ, he tells us everything in your life will be good. You hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought for a minute as we continue going through the story. It's Jesus. He says, it is me. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. How many times does the Lord have to say that when he appears to people? Every single time. Why? Because we're marked by fear. Every once in a while, guys will come together and say, I am not afraid of anything. That is baloney. Every man or woman is afraid of something. Oh, no, I, I'll jump off a bridge with nothing but a rubber band tied to my ankles. What does that got to do with That just means you're stupid. It doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you don't have fear. That's all about overcoming. That's, and I have done that, by the way. It was a lot of fun. I remember when they strapped that rubber band around my ankles. The first thing they say is, now you have to hop to the edge. <laughs> I was 280 feet up, which is not all that high. But I'm 280 feet up with my ankles tied together with a rubber band on them. About this far from the edge. And the guy says, you need to hop up to the edge. What are you saying? <laughs> are you crazy? Okay. <laughs> that was the scariest part of the whole deal. Hopped all the way to the edge so my toes were hanging over. Falling after that was easy. We think that we don't have fear. The truth is, that's a big problem for us. The Bible tells us you need to have the fear of God rather than the fear of all that other stuff. The fear of God. That you respect Him. That you believe what He says to be true. That's the fear of God. Trusting in Him. Putting your weight in Him. And so, this is a moment. Now, Jesus says this, and the disciples are going crazy, and the wind's blowing, the waves are blowing, and, and everything's going on. And right at this moment, right at this moment, our buddy Peter. Our buddy Peter is here, and Peter is filled with inspiration. Listen, I love Peter. More often than not, when everybody else is doing nothing, Peter is doing something. Which is not always good. But he was busy. He's inspired. It's the Lord. He sees the, He hears him. He says, be of good cheer. It's me. And so he's inspired. And so Peter says to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on, on the water. Command me to come to you. Now listen, a lot of people go crazy and, and they think that Peter's doubting whether or not it's the Lord. A quick Greek lesson. In the word if in English just means if. The word if in Greek has four different meanings. One is, I wish it was true, but it's not. Another is, I wish it was true, and it is. One is absolutely, totally true, and another is absolutely and totally false. This one is class condition number one, which means he knew it was absolutely true. He knew it was the Lord, and because he knew it was the Lord, he said, 
inspired, Lord, bid me to come. Bid me to come to you and I will come. Bid me to come. This is, this is Peter learning to trust even more, right? They learn to trust so they keep rowing. But now in the midst of this storm, Peter learns even more to trust God. And so he asks God if he can get out of the boat. Lord, if that's you, let me know and I'll come, I'll come to you. I'll get out of the boat. I'll, I'll come to you in this place. Peter was inspired. And so Jesus said that one word phrase that I love so much. Come. Reminds me of Matthew chapter 11. Then it come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me with all that garbage that you've left in your life that you haven't taken out. Come to me with all that stuff. Bring it to me. I am your burden bearer, Jesus says. Come unto me and I will give you rest. So Peter says, he's inspired. He's inspired and what happens then? Jesus invites him. Come. So what do we see? What's, what's Peter do? I, I love this about Peter. He, he's, and, and when Peter had come down off of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter got down off the boat and he's on the water. What were them first couple steps like? Is, is walking on water like walking on ice? Is it slippery? What kind of traction do you have when you walk on water? These are the kind of things I think about when I see stories like this. What's it feel like when the wave swell comes up, you know, and picks you up and then brings you back down? What? I don't know what that felt like. God didn't call me out of the boat. He called Peter. Peter got out and he, and he walked on the water. He walked on the water, but as he was walking on the water, and he, he began to become intimidated by the circumstances that he was in. He began to be afraid. He began to let the fear of all this other stuff crowd in on that fear of God, push out that trust that he had of Jesus, and he started to get his eyes upon the waves. Is that what it said? But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, that's Bible for crazy hard blowing wind, and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out and he said, Lord, save me. Now, did he know where to go to? And we got to know where to go. You can go to a hundred places. You can go here and there. You can go to, to this guy or that guy. You can go to that counselor or this counselor. You can go talk to that person or this person. You can do whatever you want and try to save yourself a million different ways. But Peter knew who to call on. He said, Lord, save me. I'm sinking. I don't know how far away he was from Jesus Maybe he was a long ways away. Jesus is going to close that distance really quick. He's going to come up on him really fast. But listen, there's all this stuff going on, all this, this craziness. Peter's walking on the wave, starts to look at the waves. Oh my gosh, he freaks out. But as he's sinking, he knows who saves. Do you know who saves? Do you know? Do you know who delivers you from the hurt and the pain and the garbage in your life? Do you know who will take that out? Do you know who will clean house? Do you know who will set your life Rack back to right, making sense, put it all together. You know who that is? Peter did. What did it say? Peter said, Lord, save me. And the Lord said, After you go under a couple of times, Peter, and learn your lesson. <laughs> he says, Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Immediately. I don't think he let his head get anywhere close to the water. 
immediately he was there. Listen, in that moment, in that moment, the waves weren't gone. The storm wasn't over. The battle wasn't done. But in that moment, God showed Peter, I am with you. I am not here to see you destroyed. I am here to see your character built so that in your quiet place you will be a man of God because who you are in your quiet time is your character. And the Lord was building His. And the Lord is building yours. And the Lord is building mine. And He is with us. Mighty to save. He scooped them up. Waves still going. Things still happening. And while the waves and all that's going on, Jesus instructs him. He says, here's, what's, here's what you're lacking. Here's what's missing. Jesus is not mad. He's not angry. He's not scolding like we like to do all the time. He's not doing the I told you so speech right now. He is lovingly, privately talking to Peter. And as he's there holding Peter, he first says the thing that he needs to increase. What is it? Oh, you of little faith. Same phrase. A little faith will get you a long way. But here's something that you have to realize. You always need a little more. Until the Lord calls us home and we see Him face to face, on the day I see Him face to face, I won't need any more faith. Until then, every day, I need a little more. How's faith come? Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Studying, pouring the Word of God into your life grows your faith. So first he says, oh, you of little faith. And then he tells them the problem. Why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? Remember in the beginning I told you the disciples were burnt about having to feed all those people. You remember we talked about that? Disciples are a little bit upset. They're a little bit upset about having to to feed all those and to to deal with all those things. And so, you know, in, in Matthew... Or I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 6, again, we look at that other section, and I'll just read it to you. Matthew six, or Mark 6 says, Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. They were upset. About something they shouldn't have been upset about. And because of that hardness in their life. Because of that garbage they didn't take out. Because they didn't have that quiet time. Because they didn't deal with that stuff. He was doubting. His heart was hard. And he began to sink. But when he called out for Jesus he was there. And he raised him back up and he put him back on the boat. And immediately when he got on the boat, what happened? Calm. Still. Probably the wind is blowing in the right direction. Immediately. As soon as we plug Jesus in to whatever our trial or struggle is, 
It's as though it all stopped. It's as though God reached down from the heavens and says, I'm here. The instruction is we need more faith. The instruction is we need to deal with our hard-heartedness. The instruction is i got to spend that quiet time so I can take out the garbage and give it to my burden bearer and allow him to, bur- to, to take that burden, to, to bear that burden away as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he removes our transgressions. Jesus will take it out of the way. In Matthew, he says in verse 33, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him and said, Truly you are the Son of God. First time they used that phrase of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, first time. Last time they said, What man is this? What manner of man has the power to speak? Now they call him the Son of God. Listen, you want to understand that phrase? A lot of people stumble over the phrase, the Son of God. Let me fix it for you. Literally, the Son of God would mean God in the flesh. Almost synonymous term. The Son of God and God in the flesh. You are the Son of God. And they worshipped him. They worshipped him in that place. Man, sometimes we look and we think, we say to ourselves, man, I just hope I can hang on for a little bit longer. Here's what we need to realize. We're not hanging on to anything. He is hanging on to me, to you, to us. Even if we think he's not there. He's the one holding it all up. He's the one making it all make sense. He's the one putting all the pieces together. That's what he does. And then it says, <coughs> when they had crossed over. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us, but immediately after Jesus got in the boat and the wind stopped and the waves stopped and, and it all calmed down, then the scripture tells us in the other gospels, they were there. Do you get it? They weren't in the middle of the water no more. They weren't out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They, weren't in, they were right where they needed to be at the port. Parked. Blinking, what just happened? We're here. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of the Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, recognized him. Yeah, you remember Jesus came here before. There was this Gadarean demoniac. You remember that guy? Running around and Jesus healed him and he wanted to come with Jesus. But Jesus said, no, you stay here and and minister to your family. I believe Jesus is going back to that same place. Now they recognize him. The last time they said, get out of here. You remember? They told Jesus, go, get, leave. But this time, they recognize him. And when they recognize him, they sent out to all the surrounding region and they brought to him all the sick. And they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. You see the compassion of Jesus again. You see the benefit of a witness in a community that Jesus called them to. And he stayed and he was a witness. And later when Jesus first came they didn't want him. But the second time he came, wow, they're swarming him. Filled with compassion, Jesus is healing. We see the power of God. We see the power of God to deliver men from their turmoil. 
We see the power of God to deliver men from their tragedies, to deliver men from their hurts, to deliver men from their pain. We see the compassion and the power of God to do it. Man, this this section of Scripture is is so vital to our understanding. And, And every time when the Lord moves so powerfully within Scripture, He will provide for us a picture of what He's talking about. In the book of Jeremiah, for 28 chapters, Jeremiah the prophet is raining down the judgment of God on a rejecting world. He's raining it down on the people of Israel who have turned their back on him. And the, the kingdom of Israel is divided into two. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Israel's taken into captivity. Now Judah is doing the same stuff. And Jeremiah says the same thing that happened to them is going to happen to you. And all this judgment and all this pain. And then, after chapter 28, it all happens. Nebuchadnezzar comes down. He lays a siege. People are starving. They start to eat their children just so that they can live. They're eating the dead. Life is terrible. Life is horrible. The Babylonians come in and they kill whoever tries to to fight against them. And then they take all your stuff. They take your house and they take your things and they take your clothes and they take you to a place called Ramah. And a Ramah, Ramah means heights. They take you to Ramah and then they take you to the heights, strip naked, they put out a chain and they attach you to that chain. And they attach, you're looking as far as you can see, there's people that you used to know, neighbors, friends, family, shackled to this chain. And every one of them thinking the same thing, Lord, where are you? And God says... Be of good cheer. It is me. I'm the one who has shackled you here. I'm the one who took away all your stuff. Because if I didn't do this in your life, you were on a road that was headed straight to hell. And I am intervening. And I'm going to do everything I can to save you. Be of good cheer, it is I. And for the first time in Jeremiah's ministry, God gives him three full chapters of nothing but good news. Chapter 29, 11, everybody likes to quote that, but they forget the context. You have heard the context now. Chained, shackled, being drugged off to Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah comes and he says, The Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. They are thoughts of good and not of evil. I'm not doing this to destroy you. I'm doing this to give you a future and a hope. He didn't say all my plans are easy. He said all my plans are good. My plans are good for you. Not easy, but good. We have to make a decision like the disciples. I can allow my heart to be hard because all the garbage. Nobody will take it out and I'm sure not going to do it. I don't want to spend that quiet time with the Lord. I don't want to come before Him. I don't want to lay out the real hurts and pains in my heart. I'm just going to pretend they're not really there. And then every once in a while they surface and my life goes crazy for a while. But then, you know, I'll just choke them back down and it'll all be okay. 
or I can trust Him. Trust Him means I believe what His Word said. Remember Romans 8, 28? For we know all things work together for good. It's the same as Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts I think toward you, thoughts of good, not evil. We want to take and we want to impute upon God ill will that he's doing this to hurt me. He's doing this to destroy me. He's doing this. He's allowing these things in my life to wipe me out. Listen very carefully. God is saying, and that's not what I'm doing. My thoughts aren't evil. My thoughts are good. I want to work in your life good. I want to make your life good. But in order for your life to be good, you need character. You know who you are in the quiet place? And God says, I know what to do to make who you are in the quiet place who you need to be. So I will bring the storm when you need the storm. And you, your job is to row. Don't worry, you won't row forever. Sooner or later, Jesus comes, speaks a word of encouragement. The storm is over and you are on the shore. But until that time, God says, row. Trust. Believe, deal with the junk, and be set free. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much for an opportunity to study your word, an opportunity to take a look and see, God, what you had for us in the scripture this morning, Lord. And Father God, I know there's many of us in this place right now, if we face thanksgiving and a desire to be of good cheer that are also dealing with garbage in our life but God you call us to deal with that garbage in the quiet place before you to allow our heart the hardness of our heart to be tempered with the oil of your spirit and that the oil of your spirit will soften our hard heart our bitterness toward you That sometimes the trials that we face in our life are to deal with that hard heart. Sometimes the trials we face are to develop character in our life. Sometimes the storms that blow in our life are for someone else who's watching. But no matter what enters into my life, Lord, I know that it is for my good and your glory. And I trust you. Because you are the only one who will give me an answer for the pain of this life. You are the only one who will give me hope for the struggles that I face. You are the only one who has the word of life. And I trust you. I believe you. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts and lives, Lord Jesus, and that we would be encouraged as we look at this, as we understand the the beauty, the majesty, (coughs) that you are truly, God, a a wonderful God who, who is working and moving and working all things to good and making good come from it all, from every hurtful thing, from every wrong thing ever done. 
You will turn it to gold if I let you. You will work. You will deliver me. You will set me free. Oh, God. And you call me. You call me during this time when I look up and and the wave comes and I feel like it's going to wash me away. But don't, after that wave passes, there I am still standing, but there's another wave coming. And then it hits me and surely this is the one that will take me out. But no, no, I'm still standing. And there's another wave and another and another and another. You call me not to solve the problem of the waves. You call me to stand, therefore. Having done all, stand and see. See the glory of the Lord as He is revealed in my life. God, move in this place. Be glorified as we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out this morning with a word of worship. And also we'll have the prayer counselors around the room. You see folks standing along the wall. That's what they're there for. They're here. If you need prayer, I want to invite you to come up and receive that prayer that, uh, that God would give you perhaps the strength you need for the struggles you face. God bless you. Have a great week.